Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Uh, if we haven't met before, hello. It's lovely to meet you. My name is Alyssa. Um, you might be thinking that was a bit of a strange reading. Yeah, it was. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I actually, I'm going to let you behind the curtain a little bit here. I actually wanted to do a different passage, uh, but I felt God lead me to this one um, this evening. And also, it's a great feeling as a preacher when, like, what happened in the first half of the service lines up with your talk. So I'm excited to hear um, what God has in store for us this evening. But yeah, we've made it to the final minor prophet in our series. We're in Malachi. Well done, everyone. We did it. I know it's been long. Has anyone made it for every single minor prophet? Anyone break? No, no one has. That's okay. No worries. You're here for Malachi. Um, But as I always say before I preach, if you've closed the passage, open it up again. Uh, We're in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. Uh, But before we dive in, uh, let me pray for us. God, you are so good to us. You are worthy of everything we have, everything we are. And so, God, would you come and speak to us now through your word? Show us more of who you are, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God is God. It's a bit of a newsflash for you. He is the eternal God, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who was there before the start of time and will be there at the end, the one who created all things and through whom all things have their being, the one who commands all the hosts of heaven, who is seated on the highest throne, who, the one who reigns over all and has the earth as his footstool, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There has never been, nor will there ever be, anyone like him, the almighty, the eternal, the living, the holy, the great I am. And I could go on for the rest of my talk for the next 20 minutes or so and longer because of the goodness of God and his character and his status and his majesty because he is worth it. Because he is worthy of it all. Every breath we breathe, every thought we think, every ounce of praise and worship we can bring him, he is worthy of it. Simply because of who he is and what he has done. And we need to know that And we need to remember it. And also we need to live in a way that truly honors that. You see, the call of the book of Malachi overall is a call to remember who God is and live in a way that recognizes that and honors that when everybody else around us seems to forget. The book of Malachi, the first part of it, is essentially God kind of like calling out his people, calling out Israel for the ways that they have forgotten him and lived as if he's not who he says he is. And our passage today is an example of one of these arguments. Because the reality of our passage is that we can live, act, and worship in a way that is second best, and we think we can get away with it. We lose sight of who God is, and we kind of settle for the bare minimum of what we can bring him. The bare minimum that doesn't reflect who he is, that doesn't honor what he's done for us. Because the truth is, is that our lives and our worship tells the story of what we truly believe about him. And it's once we fix our eyes in worship that we live the way that he truly deserves. Because we understand that he is worthy of the best, of the fullness, of everything we have, and so much more. 
And the Israelites in our passage today had forgotten about that, and they got wrapped up in their own lives, their own selfishness, their own perspectives. And so us this evening and our Israelites in our passage, we need to fix our eyes, and we need to fix our act. And the start of all of this, the start of our lives, the start of knowing what it means to be human, the start of time itself, the start of my talk this evening is God himself. And we need to fix our eyes on him for who he truly is. And God is really clear at that, of that in our passage. If you look down at your passage again for me, look at verse 6. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? And he carries on, he says a similar thing in verse 11. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. So I want to ask you a question. What are you? Not who are you. What are you? If I asked you that question, what would you respond with? And I want you to turn to your neighbor now and ask them that question. What are you? Very quickly, for, for a minute. Okay, great. It's only, only a quick one. Only a quick one, bring it back. Um, I wonder what kind of answers you, you had. Um, you might have gone for the very basic answer and said you were a human. Um, you're not wrong, um, unless you have been hiding something very carefully from us for the past uh, however many hours or so. Um, you might go straight for the holy answer. You might have said you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus or however you want to phrase it. Uh, or you might tell, say something related to your family, that you're a brother, sister, mother, father, wife, husband, whatever. Uh, or maybe you might have said your job, you know, depending on how proud you are of it. Because um, the fact is, is that we all carry titles. We all have things that we are. But think about it. How many of those titles did you actually give yourself? How many of those are dependent on other people giving them to you? You know, I am a daughter because my parents decided to have a child. I am the mission coordinator at the Evangelical Alliance because they decided to give me that job. Yeah, I applied for it, I submitted an application, but ultimately they decided to give me that title. I am a godmother because my friend decided, at her own risk, uh, that I wa- she wanted me to play a role in the lives of her children. I am none of those things by myself. My roles and my titles depend on other people. Sure, you know, we can work for our roles and our titles. You know, we might get qualifications or study or something like that. And, you know, we might accept roles and say yes to them, like I said yes to being a godmother to those children. But, you know, we are not our titles just because of who we are. They can be easily taken away or changed. Maybe if someone we love dies or if we get fired or something along those lines. Our human titles are temporary, but God's are eternal. He is a father. He always has been. He always will be. He is a master. He always has been, and he always will be. His name is great. It always has been, and it always will be. God's character, his titles, his nature are unchanging. Regardless of our lives and how we live and how we change, God never changes. He is unchanging in who he is. But his nature is so much better than what we can ask for or imagine. 
He is so much better, so much greater, so much more loving, so much kinder than we can ever know. Yes, he is a father, but he is the best father that we could ever hope for. He is a father unlike any of our own in this room, whether our experiences of earthly fatherhood have been positive or negative. He fathers us in loving kindness, and when he disciplines us, it is for our good. He is a master, but he is not an abusive one. He's a master who came in humanity to come and serve us. And this is where we need to start. Because it is what we believe about God that will affect the way that we live, we worship, and we act. And when we begin to slowly grasp this truth of, how, of who God is and what he's like, how can we not worship him? And we begin to realize that he is worthy of all of our praise, of all of our worship. But also, he's worthy because he's not just a passive God. Now, I, when I was a kid, I had these visions of God kind of sitting in a cloud with a long beard and just looking down on us. But that's not true. He is an active God. And that's the story of the book of Malachi. This book is set after the time of the exile to Babylon. So for context, God's people have kind of been picked up, taken off in a foreign country, and God has brought them back to the land that he has promised them. If you're familiar with Ezra and Nehemiah, they're busy kind of building the walls and making sure God's worship is happening and all that sort of good stuff. But while they're doing that, the rest of Israel are just picking arguments with God. And if you flick through Malachi, you'll see that in the first few chapters. Israel thinks they're doing everything right. God knows that they're not. And it's because their perspective of God is wrong. You know, they've forgotten everything that we've already mentioned about who God is. But they've also forgotten what he's done in the lives of those people. You know, that they are part of a covenant. A covenant that God made that he would be their God and he, they would be his people. That he was the God who led their people out of slavery into the promised land who, yes, allowed them to be in, in exile as a result of their sin and wrongdoing, but he's the one that brought them back into freedom and back into their land and out of the hands of the Babylonians. But again, the Israelites have forgotten, and so their worship is affected. And they think they can get away with offering the dregs of what they have to God, which he is not worthy of. Friends, as the people of God, we need to remember this first lesson. We need to fix our eyes on God for who he truly is, that his name is great and will be made great among the nations. And it's up to us to remember that and to participate in that remembrance. And so what has God done for you? Where have you seen God at work in your life? And if, if right now you're struggling to answer that question, then friends, look in this book. This book is full of stories of the power and the work of God. You know, read the stories of him at work in the Old Testament. Read the Gospels, hear Jesus' teaching, and remind yourself of the goodness of the Gospel. You know, get to know the writings of the letters and how beautifully wonderful and complex God is. We need to train ourselves to remember, to remember who God is and what he has done. Not just as individuals, but corporately as well. We are called to remind one another. You know, we as a church need to remember who God is and what he's done. You know, we all worship the same almighty, loving God. And as the church, we are here to help one another remember that. In the same way that I am reminding you right now of that, I want you to remind each other. And I want you to remind me when I forget. And so I know this is weird and not very British, but we're going to do that now. 
I want you to turn to the person next to you, remind them, tell them something that God has done or who he is. Go. I know we could do this bit for ages, but we have got stuff to carry on to. But keep doing that. Keep reminding each other. If you're in small groups, create rhythms of it. If you're not getting into a small group. But so we've thought about how the Israelites need to fix their eyes. And the next thing they need to do is they need to fix their act. Because as I've said already, the way that we live will reflect what we believe about God. And the reality is, is that the the Israelites are defiling God's holy name by the way they offer their worship and sacrifices. Remember, Malachi is set at a time when the people of God are still commanded to bring and sacrifice live animals to God. And there are a number of reasons why. Some were to celebrate festivals, for vows, for thanksgiving. Uh, But a predominant reason why was that the Israelites had to pay the price and atone for their own sins. So the Israelites would either buy animals or would bring them from the animals they already owned in their land, and they would offer them up to God as sacrifices that were needed. But their sacrifices were off. And it's repeated a few times in this passage. So if you start from halfway through verse 6, have a look for me. So it says, It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals to sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I know this is a bit of a foreign concept, so I thought in order to help us understand, uh, I would bring two animals with me. So, uh, my animals, do you want to come up? Here they come. That's all right. Come on, come on. There you go. Can one of you stand on this side? Thank you. Now, now they are giraffes, um, because when I texted our children's pastor, Heather, and said, do you have any animal masks? The only one she had were safari masks. Um, and last time I looked, giraffes aren't mentioned in Levitical sacrificial law. Um, so for today's sake, can you just pretend these are sheep? Um, so just use your imagination, pretend they're not giraffes, uh, but they are sheep. Uh, so we've got one sheep here on the left, a very fine specimen. Look at the sheep. Uh, really, yes, please, please applause the sheep. Good work, yes. Fantastic sheep. Um, excellent fashion sense. Uh, you know, just a really a high-quality sacrifice, really. Um, but then we have this one. Um, I told him he had artistic freedom, and this is what he's gone for. Um, but, you know, look at it. It's, it's clearly riddled with all sorts of diseases. Um, there's plenty, plenty wrong with it. Um, it's, honestly, it's, it's pretty useless, is, uh, I'd go as far as to say. I'm sorry, but it's, it's true. Um, and you, you agree to be the disease sheep, so this is on you. Um, <laughs> now, there are any reasons why you might own sheep. Uh, you might eat them. You might have them, you know, use their wool to make clothes. Um, or you might sell them on and try and make money off them. Um, now, I did a very weird Google search. I Googled what the average price of a sheep was in the UK. Um, and the average sheep, fun fact, costs £2.50 per kilo 
which then meant I had to do another Google search to find out how much the average sheep weighed in the UK. Um, so a male sheep weighs on average 102 kilograms and a female sheep 72 kilograms, which means if you do the maths, and I'm not very good at maths, so I'm hoping it's right, that a male sheep can earn on average, uh, if you sell it, 255 pounds and more if it weighs more. If you don't learn anything else from this sermon, you've learned some fun sheep facts. Um, so sheep number one, as we said, is clearly in the prime of its life. Uh, so if I sell it, I can get a good price for it, you know, around 200, 250 pounds. It's, it's worth it. This sheep, however, no chance. Yeah, there we go. Um, you know, like I said, like who is going to want this sheep? Um, there, is, there is no sheep used to it. It is just, it's carrying an untold amount of disease. Um, I, can't, I can't eat it because of that reason. But also, it's just look at it, it's so weak that I can't use it for labor or anything like that. Yeah, it's very true. Um, so if I get rid of this sheep, I don't really lose anything. If I get rid of this sheep, I lose 250 quid. Thank you very much, my sheep. You can go and sit back down. Um, <laughs> and so this situation here is, is what is happening with the Israelites in this passage. They have chosen to sacrifice their diseased animals to God. They have others available. Verse 14 tells us that some are cheating. They have acceptable animals in, available, but they choose to offer the blemished ones. They choose to offer the diseased ones. They don't want to bring God their best. They just want to offer the diseased ones that are pretty much worthless. And that's because they've forgotten that God is worthy, that he is worthy of the cost. Have a think about it. When was the last time that you spent like a little bit more than you usually would on something, maybe something that was a little bit expensive? What was the logic that you went through in order to justify your purchase? What were the fears that you were thinking? You know, maybe firstly, you might not have wanted to buy it because you, 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 know, you didn't want the cost. You know, that thing that you're spending money on, it's just simply too expensive. You know, actually, you'd rather keep the money for yourself, you know, spend it on something else. Or you might have been afraid of the cost. You know, oh, it's, it's, it's got quite a high price tag. You know, actually, if, if you spend that money, then, then what are you going to live on? What are you going to have left over in the bank? Or maybe you just fear that the cost isn't worth it. But actually, is this thing really worth the value that the price tag says it is? You know, you might have those feelings of kind of like regret before you've even bought the thing of what happens if, if I buy this object, hold it in my hands, and I realize that it, it's not worth the money that I paid for it. Is it worth the cost? Is God worth the cost? Is he worth paying a price for? Is he worth denying ourselves a little bit of comfort in order to lay down our lives for him? Do we trust him enough that if we put ourselves in a potentially risky position to worship and obey him, that he will provide? Will he gain anything if we sacrifice for him? My friends, he is worthy. What we bring to God in worship communicates what we truly believe about him. How we live our lives in worship to God shows the world what we believe about him. You know, the Israelites bringing, bringing defiled sacrifices communicated something to God. Verse 6 tells us that they were showing contempt for his name in the way that they sacrificed. They were just giving the scraps to God. I think maybe once they'd been exposed, they thought, oh, maybe it's because of selfishness. But I actually think if you, if you dig a little bit deeper... It would have been because they didn't believe that God was truly worthy of their best. Actually, their perspective of God was messed up. And actually, the fact is, is that we are just as guilty of that. Think about it. 
If we live distracted lives, spending hours upon hours scrolling through social media on our phones or on Netflix or whatever it might be until our brains are numb, that tells our world that God isn't worthy of the most valuable, one of the most valuable currencies we have in the modern day, our attention. I know that more often than not, my screen time hours are far higher than my hours in prayer. If we live just comfortable lives, apathetic lives, just living how we want, living to push kind of as many boundaries as we want and living in sin and we know that just because it's easy and it's comfortable and it's familiar and it's what we want to do, suggests that God doesn't care about us, that God doesn't care about every aspect of our lives. It also suggests that we believe in a God who doesn't really care about sin. And that has major implications for how we view Jesus. It suggests that we don't believe in a God who, we believe in a God who we think isn't worthy of every second of our lives, of every breath that we breathe. We know that's not true. The way we live tells a story about what we believe about God. You know, it's, it's called sacrifice for a reason. It's costly. It's not comfortable. But he is worthy of it. And he meets us in it. I'm sure many of us are familiar with that passage in the book of Romans where it tells us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. What we are, all of everything that we are, everything as sacrifices to him. And if we're tempted to think that he's not worthy, then we need to remember his sacrifice. That long before we deserved it, while we were still God's enemies, God himself sacrificed himself for us. With his own life, he paid the ultimate price to win us back to him. You know, we talk a lot about the freedom we have to be with God. And yes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We are free in Christ. But if you have a look at 1 Corinthians 6, it tells us that we are not our own, that we were bought with a price. Jesus paid with his life to bring us back to God. And his death was the greatest sacrifice anyone could have paid. His death that should have been ours. He paid the price to win us back, so we are not our own. We owe everything we are and everything we have to him because he is worthy, because he has done it. In the same way that the Israelites were supposed to be living in memory of the exile and how God had delivered them from their enemies, we're supposed to live in memory of the cross. So when we're tempted to live half-hearted, cut corners with our worship, behave that way because everyone else is, spend our time mindlessly scrolling social media, we would call the cross to mind. We would call his sacrifice to mind. We'd remember that Jesus is worthy of all of us. Not our second best, but all of it. And that we would worship in light of that. That our lives would sing the song of the majesty, the holiness, the goodness of God. And how worthy he is of everything we are and have. And as with everything that is said, it's, it's one thing to say it and it's another thing to do it. And the beauty of it is we have the Holy Spirit to help us. So we're going to spend some time praying now. And we're going to invite God to come and maybe show us the areas of our lives in which, you know, we, we are offering second best and we don't realize it. So if you're able, can I invite you please to stand? Yeah, we, I don't know about you, but I want us to be a people that are wholehearted in our worship for God. 
And so we're going to pray now. So whatever you need to do to, to connect with God, if, if that's closing your eyes, if that's holding open your hands, let's pray and invite the Spirit. And so, God, you are good. You are so worthy of all of us. So, Holy Spirit, would you come now? Holy Spirit, show us more of who you are. And God, as well, I pray that you would show us our blind spots. God, show us those, those areas in our lives where actually we're not living wholeheartedly for you. God, forgive us where we may have deceived ourselves or we may have convinced ourselves that we are wholehearted, but actually, God, you know that we're not. So, God, would you come and pour out your mercy and your grace on your people, I pray. I just have a, have a sense of two things. I think the first thing is that I have a sense that some people need to be really reminded of the goodness of God. That actually there are some people who, for whatever reason, you're just not fully convinced that he is good. And again, it might be that kind of surface level, oh, you, you think he might be good, but actually if you, you kind of go into your heart a bit deeper, you actually don't believe that. And I think there's a, also another group of people that, you know, when I kind of I prayed about blind spots, it, it made you really uncomfortable. Like you know there's an area of your life which God has been putting his thumb on for a while and you, you don't want to give it over because you're scared. Actually, you think it's a really bad thing if you hand it over to him. But God is always good. If he is disciplining us, it is out of love. And it's because he wants what's best for us. So I'm going to pray those things over us. And if you're not feeling anything, that's okay. But do pray in your own heart that actually you would be more wholehearted for Jesus. And so, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling right now to believe that you are good. That for whatever reason, they, they don't believe that. God, would you come and, and flood them with your goodness now? God, show them how good you are. And I pray for faith for them to believe that you are good despite whatever's going on. That God, that they would be able to stand up and declare your goodness even when the world is telling them not to. And God, for those people who are feeling uncomfortable with the idea of sacrifice, of, of handing everything over to God, Lord, I pray now that you would come and just rest on them. Again, Lord, I pray for that, that deep knowledge of your goodness over them, that if they give that thing up, that you will meet them in that. And you meet them with love. You meet them with grace. You meet them with kindness. And it is for their good. So we pray, come Holy Spirit.